0: to Solarpunk Presence, the companion podcast to Solarpunk Futures, hosted by Solarpunk Magazine nonfiction editors extraordinaire Ariel Kroon and Christina Della Rocha. Ariel and I will be using this companion podcast to Solarpunk Futures to explore Solarpunk goings-on in the world today. We'll be interviewing all sorts of interesting people who are doing work in the here and now that will help us get to a Solarpunk future. And we'll be talking to each other about the visions of a sustainable, equitable future integral to solar punk and about issues we're curious about within the movement or genre or whatever it is you want to call solar punk. Hello and welcome to episode six, which will be hosted by Ariel Kroon. Today, I'm talking
1: to Justine Norton-Kurtson, who is the co-editor-in-chief and founder of Solar Punk Magazine, and I'll be talking to them today about their upcoming book, Bioluminescent, a Lunar Punk Anthology. Okay, so Justine, thank you so much for chatting with me today.
2: Yeah, I'm excited to sit down and talk. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. I'm very keen to do this interview about your upcoming book, Bioluminescent, a Lunar Punk Anthology. Since I'm actually not super familiar with Lunar Punk, I don't know that it's something most people know about, even if they're into more solar punk literature. I know of it as the Yin to Solar Punk's Yang, but beyond some very beautiful artworks and really neat fashion ensembles that I've seen, I haven't really encountered very much of Lunar Punk. So I'm really stoked for you to elaborate on that for me today and for our listeners. Great. Yeah. So you're publishing a Lunar Punk anthology and I do wanna talk to you about the nitty gritty details of that in a bit, if you can share, but first, could you describe to me in your own words what Lunar Punk is?
2: Ooh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will try. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm hesitant just because it's such a new genre that, I mean, it's part of the point of the anthology, at least from my perspective, is to sort of like as a, as a science fiction, you know, punk subgenre community kind of figure out what it is. It's been out there for a number of years. It's not like brand brand new. Um I would but I would say less than a decade. Uh and and it's essentially I mean up until this point it's basically been there's a few spots on the internet. I think there's a spot called there's like a lunar punk anarchist site and maybe like I think the Solar Punk Druid site has some stuff on Lunar Punk, right? So there's some of these folks who have, like, started staking out mostly aesthetic territory for Lunar Punk, right? Like, instead of, you know, reds and yellows and oranges and greens like Solar Punk, it's blacks and silvers and purples and, you know, glowy neon type colors and it's more gothic than solar work solar punk is sort of more art nouveau or even sometimes kind of more like on the green brutalist mm, spectrum that. So that's and then and then it's it's essentially kind of been defined loosely as as like a subgenre of solar punk that is somewhat of an opposite right it's but but that's very like, a very loose concept right like is it solar punk at night or solar punk on the moon or is it uh the more sort of spiritual side of solar punk uh or or what right and so um the anthology through the stories sort of addresses that
0: oh cool but
2: without actually making an answer either, right? (laughs) I mean, there are stories that sort of come from all of them. There there are stories that take place in outer space and on space stations. And there are are stories that take place in glowy forests and are all about like pagan future communities and stuff like that. Like it kind of brings it all in. So it doesn't answer the question, but it it furthers the conversation maybe.
1: Yeah, Yeah. for an evolving genre, it sounds like this is really sort of the perfect... Well, not starting point, but as you said, contribution to the conversation that's furthering those ideas. And I'm mm-hmm. um, very excited to see where it goes with that.
2: Yeah, yeah, me too. One thing I would say before we move on to another question, though, about in terms of the definition, though, is that it's Lunar Punk is definitely related to solar punk and is def, and is a subgenre and has sort of always been thought of that way. And so, um, I mean, I still think of like the core root of a Lunar Punk story being similar to that of solar punk, right? Being about solutions and and building a utopia and in particular solving climate crisis and then exploring what the future looks like once that problem has been solved.
1: Oh, excellent. Yeah. I was just actually about to ask you that, like, does lunar punk reflect the sort of ideology of solar punk and what can we see in common between the two? Is there anything that's extremely disparate between the two as you said it's an evolving genre and so i don't expect you to have like a a straightforward hard and solid line that you're drawing between but um that's just sort of something that's coalescing right now is i get that feeling Mm -hmm yeah
2: yeah yeah and I mean there's definitely that similarity um there's definitely a difference in the two in in the aesthetic like I was Mm -hmm. talking about um right sort of the darker gothic type aesthetic of lunar punk versus the more sort of uh I don't know bright aesthetic of of solar punk um yeah, other than that i'm not sure that there's a whole lot to say i mean as as lunar punk and as solar punk continues to develop as as genres there might be more differences that emerge um i know within the whole really weird awkward gung-ho pro and not gun ho but like gung-ho uh-huh. pro nft side of the whole solar punk world uh-huh. which is really difficult to understand in the first place, but, um, there's this whole, I, I, I ran into this on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, this whole like strain of NFT crypto lunar punk that is developing in response to the solar punk NFT crypto oh, wow. weirdness that's going on. And, and they're like,
1: Oh, so interesting. You know,
2: it is. And it, it is it's interesting to watch, even though, i mean it's all problematic in terms of environmental impact in term with blockchain
1: and and nfts and all of that but yeah. um it's interesting but, yeah like as as an outsider observer to sort of like see the burgeoning of these new genres in in different very different places and the sort yeah. of taking up of this aesthetic by very different people with very different ideologies um yep. which is interesting to me because Yeah, I think solar punk has a little bit more of a definitive ideology at this point, even though it's still quite new, uh, and politics that go along with it, whereas lunar punk is still very, um, I mean, it is still starting with that aesthetic, and we can extrapolate from that aesthetic, I certainly have. Um, But I'm excited to read this uh, anthology that will sort of give me more of an idea of how other people are thinking about what to extrapolate from this aesthetic. (laughs) yeah i wanted to ask you actually um and this might be a bit in the same vein but uh what prompted you to put together a lunar punk anthology because you are the co-editor-in-chief and founder of solar punk magazine so it seems a bit of a contrast you're the solar (laughs) punk person so (laughs) right
2: yeah and i uh i actually started by um beginning the process of putting together a um solar punk anthology Uh, and I've I've got a co-editor who I've been working on that with. Um, It started out being called solar punk sunscapes. I'm not sure that that's what the title is going to end up being, Uh, but that uh, that solar punk anthology got picked up by a larger press. Um, I don't think I'm at Liberty to, to give the details at this point, Um, but that, that sort of stretched the timeline for that, anthology out um because like the a lot of times even with small presses it can be a year two years three years from the time that you like assign a contract till when your book actually comes out um and so when it was just going to probably be done independently it was going to come out in 2023 um now it's not going to be till 2024 probably um i would i was a little bit bummed that that Timeline for that got stretched out, but it is what it is. Um, and then sort of around the same time, I was really kind of digging into what had been written so far about lunar punk. Uh, and and thought, well, you know, hey, I'm doing I'm doing a solar punk anthology, why not do the flip side also and put together a lunar punk anthology? So and then it just you know turns out that this one will the lunar punk one will come out first, but
1: Actually, what sort of stories then could a reader expect to encounter in this Lunar Punk anthology? Could you give us a little bit of a sneak peek?
2: Yeah, sure. So (laughs) uh, without going uh, into (laughs) like detail about any of the stories, um, it's a a good mix, I think, of science fiction and fantasy and then sort of stories that kind of blend the two in, in like a science fantasy. So it's sort of diverse in that sense. Uh, and then, like I was mentioning earlier, uh, the the stories sort of um, take a number of different angles at defining or elucidating the meaning of lunar punk through the stories. Um, so there's a couple stories that take place in in space, one on a space station, and I think one on a ship, actually. Um, and then there are a few stories that um take place in like future kind of sp- I, I don't know that they are you would call them spiritual communities they're communities that have like a spiritual focus among other things and generally pagan yeah, yeah i mean right i mean there's sort of an assumption among the authors who are who are writing these stories that because solar punk and thus lunar punk is so sort of wrapped up in like the idea of creating harmony between humanity and nature. And that's very much in line with kind of the central... Um, one of at least the central themes of wicca and like modern witchcraft and so the the, those stories uh, that that kind of look at the spiritual side of future solar punk communities generally sort of take that kind of pagan witchcraft path Um, let's see what else Um, then there are you know then there are a number of stories that um, just sort of are a little bit more like what you would expect out of a solar punk story but then just with a, a a different aesthetic layover onto it. Um so it's it's a good it's a good variation but then also there's um I mean we've got some some pretty nice um big names too with the anthology. So we've got a, a story by Serena Ulibari who is well known within the solar punk community and has has put out a number of anthologies. Um, Wendy Wagner, who is the editor-in-chief of Nightmare Magazine, um, which is really cool, and um, she has a interesting sort of dark, noir, very light horror take on uh, the idea of Lunar Punk. Um, it's not, like, gory, or, you know, there's no, like, um, you know, big murder scenes or any, any, anything that you would expect out of horror, but it very much has, like, a horror kind of vibe to it which is interesting. And then we've got a novelette in the book um, that is about 10, 11,000 words. That's one of the the stories that looks at more kind of like the spiritual side of solar punk. Um, and that's written by Starhawk. And then we have a story by Neil Gaiman too, which oh, wow. um, is, yeah, we were, we were really lucky to get. Um, and that, that story will actually kind of Front end the book as um, it doesn't necessarily hold the like the aesthetic that generally people are going for with lunar punk, uh-huh. um, and it was written years ago. It's a it's a, a reprint of a story that he published some time ago, but that I you know I suspect a lot of people haven't read. And but it's a it's a fantasy story um, that basically personifies non-human characters. And so it's it's uh, it's I I felt that I had the story and was just kind of like trying to figure out what to do with it. And I really felt that it would go well at the beginning of the book, even though it's a little bit different in in terms of the Lunar Punk itself, just because it sort of sets the stage for the book as something that's a little bit more on the fantasy and fantastic side, right? Because people who come to solar punk generally are expecting more of a science fiction story, uh, and and this, while that's certainly there, um, it it very quickly becomes obvious that the stories venture um, some of them pretty deeply into the realm of fantasy, and so um, I felt like the Neil Gaiman story one would, you know, maybe give the book a little a little push. Um, for one, but then also really sort of help set that framework up of um, sort of science fantasy as opposed to just science fiction.
1: I was going to ask you, how do you, how did you find authors? Like, did you, um, was it difficult to find writers of lunar punk stories or were you overwhelmed with submissions? Did you solicit people? What was kind of the, if I could ask, what was kind sure. of the submissions process like?
2: It was a combination of the two. Um, We did a public submission window uh, and did get a lot of stories. I mean, probably not a lot of stories compared to like what some magazines get, especially like sort of generalist science fiction magazines. Um, You know, some of the the more popular ones get like hundreds, thousands of submissions, you know, per month or per quarter or or whatever. Um, But we did get a good couple hundred submissions, which is good for such a niche project you know because authors don't just have like any old story they could necessarily just throw at it or submit to it so it was it was it was a lot to read through um and there were a lot you know as always a lot of good stories that that easily could have made it in but just didn't make it because you know something had to be cut but then we also did um solicit uh, a few stories mostly those three three bigger names that I that I, I mentioned, Neil Gaiman and Serena Udivari and Wendy Wagner. Uh, but then there were one or two other stories. Maybe it's just one. Uh, there's a story in there by an author named Bright Flame um, that I, I spoke with her ahead of time and asked her to write one. And then, oh, uh, the, the Starhawk one too was, was solicited. That story actually Starhawk wrote for the Lunar Punk uh, issue that solar punk magazine is doing but she um, it was it was she, she sent it to me and I wasn't expecting it I knew she was writing a story but I it, it had like enough time had passed that I, I I wasn't expecting it to come and we had already gone through the submission process and sort of rounded out the issue on top of that it came in and it was like four or five thousand words longer than what solar punk magazine publishes. So we decided that it was just a great coincidence that the anthology was going to be publishing soon after. So we just put the story in that instead.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask, actually, what, what is the pub date for this anthology?
2: Um, so it publishes, it's not not too far away, actually, January 24th uh, of of this next year, 2023.
1: Wow. wow that's it's deep. coming
2: right around the corner. <laughs> I'm a- actually, we'll be starting to send uh the first arcs out this week
0: hello the producer here interrupting with a very important public service announcement for those of you who are sitting here thinking arcs send out the first arcs this week what justine means is advanced reader copies
2: (laughs) i'm actually we'll be starting to send uh the first arcs out this week So that's exciting
1: Yeah, I was gonna ask that if you're able, could you pull the curtain back a bit on the development process sort of as it stands right now, but if you're sending out ARCs, my goodness. Um, Uh, Does that be redone then or?
2: Mostly, yeah, Um, it still needs a final proofread, which generally advanced reader copies go out before that final proofread happens. And but but that I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, the you know, the layout's done, the cover art's done. It's it's pretty much just a matter of getting the advanced copies out so that we can get reviews coming in ahead of the
1: release date. Oh, wow, that's really exciting. Remind me who's the the press that's publishing it?
2: Yeah, it's it's Android Press, uh, which is the the same same publisher that puts out Mm -hmm. Solar Punk magazine.
1: Uh, where can our listeners find out more about uh, this upcoming anthology, Bioluminescent, or about Android Press uh, if they're interested?
2: Yeah, our website is um, android press.com or hy- hyphen, um, android hyphen.com, how uh, some people say it differently, dash or hyphen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you, you can just go there, um, there is a, a video right at the front of the homepage about the anthology. Um, with a link to the kickstarter um, which actually starts well I, I don't know when this is coming out so maybe by the time people are hearing this it won't be tomorrow but from this perspective it starts tomorrow october 4th Ooh. uh and so we're so yeah that's that's really excited um which is essentially the the beginning of the of pre-orders wow pre-orders with perks yeah
1: <laughs> with perks I am going to ask you about, or well, I was going to ask about those perks, but are people just going to have to go find out or?
2: No, no. Yeah, that's fine. I can, we can, we can talk about it. Um, So obviously the book, um, you can get either uh, ebook copies or, or print copies of the book. Uh, And then there are, let's see, so there's um, some, like, clothing, uh, Lunar Punk-related type stuff, a shirt that has the cover art for the book on it, Um, and then a hat that has, like, a a crescent moon, and then says Lunar Punk that is embroidered into the front of it. Um, And then, let's see, we've got, like, a book bag that includes that book, and then digital copies of the other books the android press has has published so far um, which is is two additional books and then there is a uh, like a story critique package for for people who are authors authors generally are also readers and so you know for any any authors who are um, looking to get the book through the kickstarter um, there's a there's an option to also get a short story critique um, of one of their own stories uh, and, and th- basically things like that yeah
1: wow that's really exciting Have yeah
2: be it'll it's going to be fun
1: so on this podcast we ask our guests often about what kind of solar punk future that they specifically would like to see or build towards mm-hmm. but let's twist that a bit uh, I want sure. to ask you what kind of lunar punk future would you uh, like to see or come to pass?
2: Wow. That's a new one. That's a fun question. I see a future where, you know, I mean, we all learn, I hope but maybe not all of us, I'm sure some of us have parents with more questionable parenting methods But most of us, at least, probably learn from our parents when we're growing up that sharing is a good thing and that it's important to share with people. And it seems like such a basic concept um, that feels like it is lost in our society when we, I don't know, hit puberty or become adults or whatever. We enter the world and we start working and, and paying bills and all of a sudden sharing is not it's not a a good thing anymore. Right. I mean, like, and, and it's, it's not us. I don't, I don't mean to put it on like on individual people's shoulders. It's the system and it's, it's capitalism specifically that sort of in instills this idea into us that there's, there's not enough. There's, there's just one pie and we've all got to get our slice of it. Um, And you don't want to can't let anybody else have your slice because it's all you're probably going to get
1: that
2: scarcity mindset yeah exactly and so that sort of like post-scarcity reality I think is an important couple both of solar punk and and lunar punk and just the the, uh, a society that um, really is based on the idea that we we share with each other which too I think is maybe just sort of a mild way of of saying socialism in a sense, right? I mean, just that nobody's going to go hungry and, you know, the whole like each according to their need and from their ability kind of thing, right? Um, That regardless of how much you're putting into the system, because there's more than enough for everyone, if not other reasons as well, you know, nobody should ever be homeless or or not be able to to get a meal for them or for their kids or you know not go have to go without medical attention or any of these things that just seem so basic and obvious to some of us but for some reason not not all of us but then more specifically on the lunar punk side I'm 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 interested in, well, a couple things. One, I'm really interested in the the possibility of just sort of bioluminescent technology as and like glowing plants as a like a future possibility for um lighting our homes and our communities in ways that don't necessarily use electricity because i mean even if all of our electricity is being produced in a healthy green environmentally Mm -hmm. conscious way you know that doesn't mean that there will necessarily be unlimited amounts of it um and, and and so finding finding ways that are interesting and cool and really pretty like that, um, that really add character to a place that we can also use in a very functional and practical way, I think is really interesting. And, and is a direction that the whole genetic modification thing I think could go. And then I, well, I think that we need to be certainly wary about that. And And I'm one of the people who is like, wary of genetic modification of food and things like that. Mostly because I, I, I get um, anxious about, you know, like they build pesticides into vegetables and stuff like into the like Great. the genetic structure of vegetables.
0: The producer here breaking in again to say that what Justine is talking about are so-called BT potatoes, BT maize and BT sweet corn. These genetically modified crops contain genes from the bacterium Bacillus thuringiensis, which produces a protein that is lethal to the larvae of butterflies and moths. This protein is called the Bt delta endotoxin, and it works against caterpillars of the European corn borer, which bores its way into maize plants, causing incredible destruction and reductions in crop yields. And now back to Ariel and Justine's conversation.
2: You know, like they build pesticides into vegetables and stuff like into the, like the right. genetic structure of vegetables so, right i mean like i don't necessarily have a problem with genetic modification in and of itself but then like you do something like that and then you know i feel like that's maybe even and i'm not a scientist so maybe it's not but like like it's potentially worse even than like spraying pesticides on vegetables because at least i can wash the vegetable if it's been sprayed with something but if like this this what amounts to a poison is built into the genetic makeup of the vegetable. So that if a, a bug eats it, the bug dies, then, you know, how do I wash the genetics off of the vegetable when I want to eat it? <laughs> um, this is sort of like another Avenue that doesn't necessarily screw with our food, but that, mm-hmm. and, and not to mention that there are just sort of like plants that have that, that capability out there already. Um, plants yeah. plankton.
1: So that sort like of that. biomimicry, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, taking some, um, and
2: then also I'm interested in the kind of spiritual side. You know, like I would, I think, I mean, I'm a, I'm an atheist, and I, I don't believe in God, so I think it strikes people as a little odd. But there's a whole strain of paganism and witchcraft um, that is, is atheist and and non believer that that sort of looks at it more from and looks at spirituality in general more from as, as sort of like a personal growth and like Mm -hmm. community building kind of thing. I don't want to say self-help because that's just so cheeky, but, (laughs) 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 Um, but but like, you know, a way to connect to people and build meaningful relationships in a way that goes deeper than just what we can necessarily explain. Right. Yeah. Um, But that doesn't rely on belief in, things that can't be scientifically explained I think
1: it's it's been Uh, you know pretty pretty obviously demonstrated that spirituality is very important to some people and ritual Mm -hmm. and togetherness is also extremely important to human beings in general and so um that is very interesting
0: yeah
2: and I think churches and and religions in general not just churches because um you know they're that, that's that's specific to Christianity but um religious groups and spiritual groups they they throughout time I guess have seem to have like figured out somehow a way of like bringing together people in a way that is is really deep and meaningful to them and and they've and it's something that like other other groups and like other attempts at forming group cohesion like like civic groups and things like that just quite haven't figured it out right like people are dedicated to their churches mm-hmm. right and uh, and and a lot of it probably has to do with the the belief and the faith aspect but i would love i mean just in terms of like the what better communities and better futures and and what a, a lunar punk future might look like this idea of a way for people to have those deep, meaningful connections, regardless of whether they are religious or not or believe in God, I think is is really important, um, right? I mean, if you're going to have a community that or a society that that you would call utopia, um, then it seems like those sort of really strong community bonds and interpersonal bonds would be there and be important.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's important. And that's, you know, spirituality, solar punk spirituality. I mean, I think it naturally feels like it slides naturally into lunar punk, Uh, at least for me, in terms of the way that the aesthetic is sort of set up. um, It seems that that is where a lot of these sort of more spiritual signifiers that we're familiar with, like the moon and and um, all these different objects of significance. represented that's really really i think crucial to to think about not just for like a genre of fiction but also an ideology as well so thank you so much for uh, sitting down and talking with me and i'm really looking forward to seeing bioluminescent on digital shelves (laughs) yeah so where can our listeners find you online justine
2: yeah, I mostly am on Twitter um, and at Jank, J-A-N-K writes, Jank, uh, W-R-I-T-E-S, Jank um, writes. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram too with the same handle, you so you can find me there, but I, I'm not on Instagram a whole lot. Uh, and, and same with TikTok, I'm I'm there some, and I, I do videos every once in a while, but I'm not, I'm generally, if I'm on social media, it's, it's Twitter. So,
1: okay. Awesome. Well, yeah. thank you very, very much for all your amazing answers. And I'm really looking forward to reading
0: Bioluminescent, a Lunar Punk Anthology, uh, this January.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: This was fun. And that brings us to the end of episode number six. Thank you for listening to Solarpunk Presence, a series embedded within the Solarpunk Futures podcast, written, hosted, and produced by Christina Della Rocha and Ariel Kroon. This podcast is a part of Solarpunk Magazine, which is published by Android Press, which is located on kalapuya Ilíhi, the traditional indigenous homeland of the Kalapuya people. Today, descendants are citizens of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde Community of Oregon, and the Confederated Tribes of the Silates Indians of Oregon. The opening and closing music for solar punk presence is Water Cooler Gang by Monkey Warhol and is available for use under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. So, thank you again for listening, and until the next episode, stay solar punk.